Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Film Chat, a cautionary tale all about a group of scientists who wanted to make some chimpanzees as angry as possible. For very valid scientific reasons, the scientists showed the apes some unpleasant videos and pumped them full of a nasty drug, making the creatures livid. All this would have been fine if it weren't for some animal rights campaigners who clearly had not understood the very great value of research into how absolutely steaming one can make a bunch of hairy chimps, breaking into the lab and unleashing the hopping mad beasts on the UK. The result? Apocalyptic devastation, reminiscent of the 2002 film 28 Days Later. Now, somewhere in the eerily deserted city of London, two of the pissed-off primates sit around and record a podcast about movies. I'm enraged ape number one, Sam Foster, and joining me is enraged ape number two, Danny Moran. Hello, it's Films You Haven't Heard Of Week on Film Chat, as we review films that you haven't heard of. First off, I take us to The Forbidden Room, a portmanteau serialistic fantasy from Guy Madden, Canada's leading art house oddball. And then we both dig our claws into The Russian Woodpecker, a documentary slash conspiracy thriller slash artist biography slash I don't really know. We also discuss all things Golden Globes, the norms, the snubs, the snaffs, the dumps, the chumps, the chimps, the hoops, and the blimps. <laughs> really amused myself writing that. And we also ponder whether James Franco, whose previous 400 films as a director were bad, will finally make a good film by making a film about the making of a bad film, or whether this idea is as coherent as the sentence I'm finishing now. All of which gives me just enough time to reenact all 260 episodes of the late 90s New Zealand post-apocalyptic children's TV show, The Tribe. Looking at the future, Sam, what do you see? I really need to know now. Is there a place for me? That's, that's the opening theme song of The Tribe. Deep stuff. That sounds good. been not exactly inundated but uh presented presented with one or two items from a number of close 
um, confidants of ours. Absolutely. Some close chums, fans of the show. Dougal McQueen writes in, Dear Film Chat, I know I'm later than Chilcott with his comments, so forgive me. Mockingjay Part 2, without any spoilers, what a disappointing waste of my not even close to valuable time. Had some good action-y bits, but a massive clotted clump of willowy bollocks at the end. It's quite a powerful mental image <laughs> wow. from Dougal there. Honestly, I rarely get a chance to break from my punishing schedule of sitting, eating, counting trees, and whistling the hits of 1999, so this was two hours right down the pisser. I also saw Carol, which is an incredible, simple, poignant film with more mocking, like when Kate Blanchett says, what are you going to do, divorce me, and more Jays, I assume, in the wide shots. They're really well camouflaged. And in general, a whole lot more going on for, you know, human beings to get their noggins around came out with a serious case of the feels which i hope clears up in case i have to look wistfully through some soft focus fairy lights in a christmas market happy podcasting in 2016 excellent message dougal i think you probably chime with the broad film chat views on both those films yeah less eloquent maybe you're just taking our view form. maybe did you even see these movies or are you just like taking what we said and making them into flowerier prose and, and just, send them back to us just better, to impress us flowerier pose i don't know about that prose rather prose who knows? I don't know. We need to get you to write for the podcast, Dougal. Yeah. You should just be writing everything that we say. That'd be great. I think that would make it a lot better. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, oh sorry. I just took a moment to imagine it. It was almost overwhelming. I had a bit of correspondence. Well, we did, but I felt like I instigated it slightly. Yeah. By asking people who they would cast as Han Solo, and nobody commented on that post. But prior to me posting this... A mere hours or potentially days, I forget. Uh, James posted that Ansel Elgort, who we mentioned in the podcast, the guy from Fortnite Stars and Men, Women and Children and the upcoming Baby Driver, DJs under the alias and Solo. So if that's, you know, that's how you get cast in films, right? You just have a similar DJ name to the character you're going up for and they just cast you. Yeah, that's why Mark Wahlberg keeps getting cast in films as characters called Mark E. Mark. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I believe. That's why DJ Shadow played uh, Gandalf's horse <laughs> in the Lord of the Rings movies. Well, that was a pantomime horse. So DJ Fax was the front half and DJ Shadow was the back half. I wish I knew more DJs. All the way around. But yeah, do you think he'd be a suitable young Han Solo? No. He's quite young. I mean, how young is young Han Solo? This guy's four know. years younger than us, Danny. We discussed off mic afterwards. He's 21 years old. He's too young. I mean, he's only just old enough to drink legally in the US. Come I don't on. know if I can watch a Han Solo who's not old enough to drink. <laughs> he's <laughs> got to be... He's got to... Like, if he's Han Solo, he's been drunk before. Several yeah. times. Oh, yeah. You know? He's gotten some brawls. Yes, exactly. He's, uh, he's, had he's, some he's banged a lot of chicks. You know how him and Chewie bonded and it was drunk? Sure. Yeah. There's <laughs> no way that <laughs> if he... If we work in bed together... Probably. <laughs> I mean, is there any... They're totally different species. They don't speak the same language. How the hell did they become friends? That's because what I want to getting, find out. Because they were getting pissed together. Yeah, alcohol, the universal language. Yeah. Of, of the universe? The galaxy? <laughs> far, far away? <laughs> I thought after... <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> the language of the galaxy. Uh, idea came to me after we recorded last episode, which is that... I think Jamie Bell would be a good young Han Solo. Yeah. I don't know if anyone would be good, but I think he could do it more better than most. Yeah. I'm a big Jamie Bell fan. I think he's always good and stuff. He's, he's got he's a lot underrated. of swagger and he's got the kind of depth, you know, he's I think got, there's something going on behind his eyes. Like James McAvoy is like a poor man's Jamie Bell. 
Mm. But also a more successful man's Jamie Bell. Yeah, but like, Jamie Bell can do the whole like cheeky chappy thing McAvoy does. That's not the only thing he's good at. Jamie Bell can do that, but much better. But he's got range, you know? Mm. He can play like, he was like great in Nymphomaniac being up women and stuff scary yeah scary man the male version of uh, sort of super dominatrix dominator is that yeah. what they're called so if this new Han Solo prequel calls for a scene where like he puts some coins in a glove and like slaps Charlotte Gainsbourg <laughs> which I'm sure it will <laughs> It's going to be ideal. He's the man with the job. He's the man with the job. Step aside, DJ and Zolo. It's, I'm pretty sure there's a line in the original Star Wars where he's like, I did the castle on 12 parsecs, I slapped a wall book. <laughs> the glove full of coins. coins. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was in the original screenplay. Yeah. It might have got cut, but that was pretty integral to the character. I remember Harrison Ford talking about it a lot. <laughs> I tied a woman to a sofa and refused to allow her to touch my penis. That kind of thing. Yeah, that yeah. sort of stuff. Anyway, anyway. Uh, thanks for your suggestion, James. Cheers. Cheers, Jimmy. No one calls you that. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So the big story uh, from the Golden Globe nominations is that the winners are, or at least the biggest nommers. Big nommers. The big nommers are Carol and Mad Max Fury Road. Carol got a huge amount of positive press, so that's sort of not that surprising, maybe. But Mad Max um, also got a lot of great reviews and everything, but it maybe was not seen as a awards-type film. Well, it's probably the movie released... Uh, earliest in the year. That's true. Yeah, they didn't. They certainly didn't release it as an awards you know, season movie, and um, and it's essentially a se- one long chase sequence the entire film. So. But it's it's cool that people are championing it because you think it'd just be that would be the film that everyone thinks is the best film, but you know, but it's not awardsy. It's not awardsy. Yeah, absolutely. But so I would love to see cool. George Miller get best director. That'd be awesome. I think he deserves awesome. it. Yeah, it's probably the most directed film of the year. That's true. It's definitely one man's vision, isn't it? Yeah. It's always like it's always these hard things to call with um uh films are like who's responsible for what? But I think that's a film where you can objectively say that like one man has directed this. Whereas I guess with Carol, which I also think is really well directed, you can maybe lean on say, well, he just had really good performances yes. and he got out of their way. But with Mad Max is so much uh vision as you yeah said, it's the that. orchestration of uh, one guy definitely obviously working with a lot of other talented it'll people, definitely but... get best editing I reckon yeah it can't not is there, yeah. a, is there a category for best storyboard should probably win that as well best flame flower for a guitar <laughs> best uh... best guitar prop um, yeah and um, nice to see Shaun the Sheep in there the Shaun the Sheep movie yes gets a nomination in the animation category Inside Out might I think Inside Out might probably... win that one probably should win that one yeah yeah but Sean the Sheep is certainly worthy of being nominated one of the other odd things about the Golden Globes um, nominations is that uh, well they have unlike the Oscars they have separate um, best motion picture categories for dramas and comedies and that leads to some films that don't really see themselves winning the drama category popping themselves into the comedy category even though they do not really belong there so The Martian is um, up for best comedy it's not a comedy, though, is it? It's not funny. <laughs> I mean, do they judge that differently? Do they just judge what is the best film within the category, or do they judge it on what is the best comedy within the category? If you see what I, I mean. Do. I don't know, actually. Because it is clearly not the best comedy of the year. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you just judge how funny it was, it was sort of funny a few times, but it isn't the best comedy of the year. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's true. The other <laughs> nominations in that category are The Big Short, Joy, Spy, and Trainwreck. And there's really only two out-and-out comedies in that list. Yeah. So I don't um, know. I don't know what to root. I mean, I loved Spy anyway, so maybe just root for that. Absolutely. But, Spy was great. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to see Joy or The Big Short on these shores yet. The thing I'm not looking forward to about the Golden Globes is that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler are no longer hosting it and play Ricky Gervais is back. Oh, my God, really? Yes. Gervais is back. Ugh. Does anyone in Hollywood even remember who he actually is? It's with his annoying, screeching mouth. Yes, his <laughs> giant, his huge... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Obviously, laughing mouth. Moving on, some interesting news has come out this week about James Franco's uh, film, The Disaster Artist, which is based around the making of The Room. If you haven't heard of The Room, it's famously... It's kind of it was a cult classic that's now gone quite mainstream. It's um, it's the best worst film of all time. It's the best worst film of all time. You can see it every month at the Prince Charles. It has to be seen to be believed. It's like a sort of... Trying to be a sort of chamber piece drama, but failing in every department. Yeah. The passion of Tennessee Williams. <laughs> and um, but it is—it's brilliant. There's something so sincere and sweet about this vision by this um, bizarre actor, writer, and director, director called yeah. Tommy Wiseau, who no one's really sure he's from. Sort of somewhere yeah, he's European. A, he's of indeterminate origin. Who knows pale. where he got the money? Like, there's some story that he got the money to make the movie from, like selling leather jackets or trading them in Hong Kong or something bizarre like that. There's an urban legend he's a vampire because he's so pale and yeah. he's got long black hair. And anyway, this film, which I'd highly recommend, um, the other actors, guy called. Uh, Greg Sestero, Sestero, yeah, who was the producer on the film, ended up being the co-actor. Wrote a book about the making of it called *The Disaster Artist*. And James Franco has bought the rights and is now making to the film. And he's starring as Tommy Wiseau. Dave Franco is playing uh, James Franco's brother. Is playing Greg Sestero. And uh, Zac Efron is now cameoing in it as the drug dealer. If you've seen the film, you know who that is. And Alison Brie has also been attached. And Josh Hutcherson, Peter from The Hunger Games. So it feels like Franco's just calling in all his favours from his mates yeah. to make this quite bizarre film. Is Alison Brie playing Lisa, the love interest character? We don't know yet. Because it's about the making of, there'll be characters who aren't in the actual film, I imagine, who yeah, are just exactly, on the set. Exactly. But uh, Franco's vision, apparently, wants it to be somewhere between Boogie Nights and The Master. So two of Paul Thomas Anderson's films, both quite epic. Yeah. But I feel... Do you think this is a good idea, regardless of who is making it, just in principle? I think that it really depends on... Uh, how the film turns out. I don't know if it's a good idea. I mean, it might be an interesting book. I mean, I mean it depends on the book as well. Like, yeah. I mean, obviously, the circumstances surrounding the making of the film are very, very interesting because the the result is so incredibly bizarre and Tommy Wiseau is such a mysterious figure. So I'd be sort of fascinated to learn a bit more about what's behind it. But there's the, the issue is that... Um, or rather, the danger is that you'll end up 
making a joke unfunny by explaining it to people. Yeah, exactly. Because it's That's this perfect mean. kind of thing which takes itself so seriously and is so wrong and off in so many ways that um, make you laugh that having a bunch of people who are all in on the joke trying to recreate the humour of it will make it lose what was special. Yeah, so that's exactly. No, I mean, I if agree. it was a remake of The Room, you'd be like, that's fucking stupid. But the film about the making of it, I don't know, it could be good. I think you just take it a bit seriously. If it's just a cartoon, then it will not be good. Yeah. The only, my only concern is that James Franco is um, apparently a terrible director and like all his films are really bad. Well, they get really panned, don't they? Yeah, they all get panned. So this one will be good? Yeah, that's the other danger. You get a bad director to make it as a sign that it might not be a good film. Yeah. The, the thing is, yeah, it'll be an interesting counterpoint because James Franco just makes boring bad films, but Tommy Wiseau, in a sort of idiot savant way... You're right. ...made a... Um, Do you reckon Tommy Wiseau is going to make a film about the making of The Disaster Artist? And then gonna, Franco will make a film about the making... Sort of revenge of the film. making Of the making? I've already lost myself. Of that film. Yeah. So on and so forth. Well, do you think it would be kind of an amazing... New York sort of thing. This would be an amazing Tommy Wiseau revenge. Yeah. If Franco made this film that was kind of about how terrible The Room is, but that was itself terrible, and then Tommy Wiseau made a film about the making of that film, which was also terrible, but became another cult classic. Wow. You know, so he would have made two cult classic bad films, and Franco would have just added to his list of bad films. Yes. That no one watches. Yes. Yes! That sounds great. Oh, that was really a positive reaction. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it astonishingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. Danny, why don't you take me into the Forbidden Room? I would love to take you into the Forbidden Room. So, the Forbidden Room is the latest film from Guy Madden, which, if you know your art house cinema, which I don't really, but I watched one of his films at uni, so yeah. I knew of him before. He is a uh, Canadian uh, sort of living legend. He's very well regarded. He's made about 11 films and lots of shorts. And his uh, films... Never seen of, his stuff. Never seen his Haven't stuff. Haven't seen a frame of that shit. <laughs> Never heard of the guy. But uh, he does a lot of art installations. And he's also a novelist. He's a bit of some Renaissance uh, filmmaker man. And this is his latest film, which is... Um, written and directed by him and co-written co-directed by uh, Evan Johnson who was a former student of his because he also teaches film and he brought him on he must be busy this guy he is very busy it's got a very interesting uh, genesis this film because he's working on this project called The Seances which is going to be an internet project where they're going to make films which have been lost they're going to remake like old scripts from the 30s and 20s which were never made or the celluloid was burnt and while he was making that they uh, made this film concurrently, which was inspired by film synopsis they found of lost films, or and sometimes just the title, The Forbidden Room, is a title of a different film, and he thought it was a cool title, so he just based a whole film around it. And it was shot in uh, partly in the Pompidou and partly in a Canadian art gallery, and you could just go watch this film being made, and it was all shot on sets with digital cameras, and then later the film has been heavily treated with different grains and textures and colours. So it was a very unique-looking film. It's kind of slightly impossible to describe, but it's basically a series of short little stories which uh, all fold into one another in some way. So a character in one short story will have a whole narrative onto themselves and they'll meet somebody who also has a story. And it's got this... Um, 
on which what seems like quite an erratic structure which actually on reflection is very well thought out and one of the satisfying things about the film is the way it all kind of folds into each other in quite a neat fashion but the official synopsis is a submarine crew a feared pack of forest bandits a famous surgeon and a battalion of child soldiers all get more than they bargained for as they wend their way <laughs> toward progressive ideas on life and love. They all get more than they bargained for. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it's hard to show a clip of this film, but here's a clip of uh, a lounge singer singing a song about a man who can't stop looking at women's asses, so he has to have bits of his brain removed, written by Sparks. Out on the street, cute at last, so relieved. Oh, no, again. Um, so I saw this film at the London Film Festival and at the time I thought it was really great. I saw it at the IMAX screen and I feel that part of my enjoyment of the film was just seeing it in this very cool, unique environment. But on reflection, I think it really holds up. It's not um, a particularly emotionally engaging film. It's so kind of mad that it's it's just like a sort of relentlessly paced, entertaining series of little sketches in a way. But I think it has enough going on that that doesn't really matter and in a way i think it's got a sort of strain of melancholy to it and it's about how you know these films are lost in time and it's all about kind of loneliness and being lost but you don't really need to buy that at all because it's just got a series of very entertaining um little sketches and as we just heard you know a song like that just bursts out of nowhere so is it uh, an entertainment kind of film as well as an art project yeah, I think what I liked about this film, a kind of quote-unquote art house film, is early in the year I reviewed a, a pigeon reflecting on a branch... Sat on a branch reflecting on existence. An existence. And that, in a way, broadly are kind of doing similar things in that they're sort of taking on broader themes in quite an abstract manner. But with The Forbidden Room, what's so um, joyous about it is that you're invited along for the ride and it's really m- melodramatic. That's like the tone of it. And the melodrama allows for like these massive shifts in tone because it's all broad. So the sad bits are super sad, and like the you know the mad bits are really mad. And I read this really interesting interview of Guy Madden, where he talks about how melodrama's got a bad rap because it's associated with bad acting and unre- unrealistic stuff. But he argued that melodrama is not the truth exaggerated, but the truth uninhibited. So. In a like in these films when people are like, you know, sad, they like scream and holler. But that's like what human beings would do if we didn't have the social conventions where that wouldn't be acceptable. Right. It would be his argument. Yeah. So Interesting idea. it's yeah, so for all the madness of it, it's kind of rings true a lot of the stories, even if they're really abstract. Guy Madden has got a fascination with um early cinema, which is in all his films, I'm told. I've only seen like three of them, but especially only the three. <laughs> I mean, come on, Danny, come on. But he's particularly interested in the period where like the talkies came in, and this film like embraces like the whole breadth of film language. If that's not too 
wankier sentence where like it has um title cards and the acting's very exaggerated and so i feel it's like one of those movies you could turn the sound off and you kind of get what we going on but um you'd be missing out on some great sound design because there's uh, some songs by sparks and the spark songs are really good i think what's most impressive about it is that it's a like barrage of images and that could easily become exhausting but um, rather than it becoming repetitive it finds ways to constantly entertain you and the structure of telling loads of different stories at the same time enables stuff to like everything's crescendoing at the same time and it's got a very neat Russian doll style ending where everything reaches a climax at the same time which makes it uh, really uh, involving it's so, like cool. You're kind of following all the stories. They they dip into each other enough, and just as you're about to forget about one, they come back at the right time, so you kind of get it. And um, I don't know if it's definitely a, an acquired taste, I would say. And you could argue that he's just throwing everything at the screen and seeing what f- sticks. But I was more, I was just with it. I was like impressed by the movie. Really went for it, and it's a really bold piece of like cinema it wouldn't work as anything else and it's it's just like very invigorating to watch something which only works as a piece of cinema Mm. and would like be pretty much incomprehensible in any other form i mean i don't know what the script looked like it was probably just like absolute nonsense it was probably wingdings (laughs) it's probably just a bunch of fucking windings yeah, so it won't be to everyone's taste. It's playing at the ICA at the moment and uh, a lot of Curzones around London. I would advise you to check out the trailer and if you like the trailer, you'll like the movie because it does as good as you can do, like a quite good job of like explaining to you. Sounds really cool. Yeah. I would certainly be up for checking it out. Yeah, it's sick, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Looks like Sam's got a film to review. He's just getting ready now. Hey Sam, here's a few tips for you that I hope are gonna help you out. You gotta come prepared, try not to rush, speak directly into the mic. Um, don't sort of use filler words too much and try to avoid talking total shite. Okay, start reviewing now. So Danny's bidding, I sat down last <laughs> night to watch this documentary film that I hadn't heard of. And I knew absolutely nothing about it except that Danny had seen it and he told me that I should watch it. It's kind of fun sitting down to watch films where you really don't know what you're in for at all. Um, I literally only knew the title and that it was a documentary. It's called The Russian Woodpecker. Uh, came out earlier this year and it's now available on demand in various places. You can watch it on Google Play. You can watch it on iTunes if you want to. And um, it premiered in the World Cinema Documentary Competition at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival and won the Grand Jury Prize for that category. Um, and it's very, very good. It's a very, very interesting film directed by someone called Chad Gracia. I would have said Garcia, but it's definitely Gracia. His name is written <laughs> three times on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, it's his feature debut, which is kind of amazing um, because it's so incredibly well put together. The film focuses on a Ukrainian artist called Fedor Alexandrovich, who is looking into the Chernobyl nuclear disaster in Ukraine. And it takes place, or was filmed in 2014, right around the time when Ukraine erupted into violence um, and protesters overthrew the government. So it's about all sorts of things at once, and it touches on these at various different times. It's about this artist guy, 
um, who is uh, who was a child when the Chernobyl disaster happened. So he's a kind of a child, child of, of ch- the disaster. Has strontium in his bones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, um, yeah, <laughs> it's so thematic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the director has sort of described him as almost like a symbol of Ukraine, um, which I guess he kind of is. Um, and so it's about him because he's an he's a odd guy he's this artist he does this kind of performance art stuff which the film occasionally dips into and he is a fearless kind of journalistic investigator into the chernobyl disaster uh, for the first part of the movie but then he sort of comes up against some opposition from the state who don't want him to be looking into it which um, makes him hesitate so that's one thing the film's about it's also about what he discovers um about Chernobyl and about this structure that the Russians built in Ukraine called the Duga, um, a massive antenna thing, um, which is very deeply mysterious and baffled everyone about what, what that was for. And so it's full of these fascinating details about the Cold War and that kind of thing. And it's also about the collapse of Ukraine um, in 2014 or the, the problems that went on there, a sort of um, a prophetic ominous declaration about where things might be going yeah yeah it's kind of everything yeah um and it's all done it's all put together like so well like it, it comes together it feel, really feels like a whole even though it's doing so many different things and there's a very a lot of very inventive use of different camera techniques some cool stuff with fisheye lenses there's some animation it's got a lot of archive footage interesting interviews with um uh, ex-soviet scientists things like yeah. that and it's just got everything you know yeah I, there's many things i really loved about it i liked how as a sort of someone who sort of half understands the news most of the time i like how it was like a very good primer just on ukraine in general because i it's sort of thing where like yeah it's, it's bad there or something you know i'm just a sort of slightly ignorant westerner and so it really gave a good overview of that in a very concise yeah. way. Yeah, and there's so much history for the film to do because it has to explain the situation in Ukraine now plus <laughs> the situation in the yeah. Cold War and all this. There's so much history to get through. I feel that when um, Chad Gracia found Fedor, he must have been like, fucking jackpot, this is going to be great. Because yeah. he's such an engaging protagonist, probably because he's such a sort of artist and believes in truth and beauty or whatever. So he makes a great um, interviewer and his relentless, dogged quest to find the truth is really engaging. But also, the fact that he's a performance artist, I feel, gives the movie more artistic license than most documentaries. And it really uh, makes the most of the very surreal nature of Chernobyl in the first place. Like, the fact that there's this entire town that's radiated, and it's just been left there for... F- it's like our science fiction. Yeah. And the movie really um, encapsulates that. And certain like shots which are obviously set up with uh helicopters or you know such drones probably drones uh, exactly which in a more conventional documentary be like oh that might take you out of it slightly because it feels like a bit staged it, the movie has that kind of license because it has this performance artist at his heart Absolutely, through him yeah. you can sort of engage yeah. with it a bit more and it, it sort of it sold his art in a really good way as well because uh, when you first encounter him, he is comes across as just uh, an eccentric sort of weirdo guy yeah. who's putting on bizarre art pieces. <laughs> the sort of thing that you would see in a sixth form performance and just think, this is total bullshit. <laughs> it's meaningless. Um, but then because of the context and because of how crazy 
what happened in Chernobyl was and how um, insane the uh, this Duga structure is, which is broadcasting this um, particular frequency all the time, which sounds like a woodpecker, hence the name of the movie. The surreal art that he does takes on a lot of meaning, and it doesn't become stupid at all. No. He spends uh, some parts of the film wrapped naked in plastic sheeting, holding a pole with a flame on the end, holding a silver mask in front of his face. If I did uh, that, that would be stupid. If what... Danny did it, <laughs> it would be stupid. But with this guy doing it... <laughs> it's brilliant. The way that it's done in the movie, it becomes quite a... I know it's it's sort of as a symbol it's quite powerful just visually but the madness of it is perfectly suited because it is mad yeah and the the events that they're describing are mad and the things that people have done are mad and so it works and it just makes sense it's like of course this guy is like that yeah what a fucked up history <laughs> this country has and there's so much suffering and uh he is exactly what you'd expect you yeah know? and um That's and so f- he's quite he's quite heroic really yeah absolutely it's also it's that sort of thing um we talked about this with cartel land where documentaries that feel like movies it's often it's often true when something like amazing happens and people say oh that sounds like a movie because life is you know interesting bits with a lot of banality in between but there's something uniquely exhilarating when a documentary sort of fits a narrative you're familiar with mm. and the uh, sort of book ending of the movie is the all this unrest in Ukraine, and it's so thematically neat how you've been following this one man's journey, and the fact that it's all about how like corrupt the Soviet Union are and they oppress people, and then it ends with them literally beating and shooting at civilians. It's just like it's just perfect. It's like you couldn't have planned it any yeah. better. And but I think it's a real skill of the documentarian to present that in a way that doesn't feel. F- overly forced no. it feels true no I agree completely it's just uh, really fascinating everything about it is good <laughs> everything about this film is good guys absolutely it's only 80 minutes as well yeah it's really short they pack so much into this film and it's incredible how much ground is covered in only 80 something minutes so I heartily recommend that you guys check it out check it out Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my ass Cause I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat So this week, Shia LaBeouf, LaBeouf, however you his name, he's done another crazy art thing. He loves doing crazy art things after watching all his movies in a row backwards, whatever it was. He's like, that wasn't weird enough. So um, until Sunday, so Thursday to Sunday this week, I don't know what week it is when you're listening to this, but he's been in Liverpool and between the hours of uh, 10 and 6, I think, you can call up Shire and have a chat with Shire. Yeah, open line. So I think um, it's quite busy. Yeah. yeah. Should we give it a go? Yeah, let's see if we can get in touch with him. Okay, I'll just, I'll just dial it now. Oh, yeah, the Shire. Uh, make it fucking quick. Uh, Shire, a quick question. I'm thinking about getting Avengers Age of Ultron on Blu-ray for my dad this Christmas, but uh, I'm thinking he might actually like it because he's more of a Charles Bronson fan, but um, should I should I do it? 
Positive response you got. I also have a bit of a dilemma, Shire. Um, I had a dream recently where I just quit my job and um, made a living selling miniature woolen trousers on eBay. But is that something that I should do in real life? Just do it. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Very quickly. Um, a Nigerian prince emailed me this morning. Apparently, he's got some a lot of money, but he can't get out of the country. And all I need to do is give him my bank details, and uh, he'll reward me financially. But it, I'm not sure if it's on the up and up. I mean, I mean, should I should I do it? Do it. I was wondering. I have a different kind of question, Shai. I was wondering about your approach to giving things to people and giving away some of your wealth. And uh, do you ever feel like maybe you should look to others a little bit more? What do you feel about that? You know, like, I feel good when I throw, like, you know, a couple bones to the dude on the side of the freeway or something like that. I do stuff like that, but, you know, never to outrageous amounts, but, you know, that stuff seems to matter more. You know? Okay. Interesting response. Thanks a lot, Shy, for your time, and good luck with your installation. Do you think we should end this phone call? Do it! Wow. He's a good guy, isn't he? He seems like a cool guy. He's so positive. You know, we're a nation of uh, divers, the Brits, you know, we always skirt around the issue, but he's just he's just run on and is there. You ask him a question, he gives you a bloody response. I don't think there's anything that he hasn't done that he's considered doing, certainly judging by that attitude. He's a bit like that movie Yes Man, <laughs> but a yeah. real man. He, yeah, he is Yes Man. He is Yes Man. They should have hired him as Yes Man in that movie Yes Man. Yes Man, they should have done that. Okay, thanks for listening, thanks guys. Thanks for listening. That's the end of Next week, Star Wars! Star Wars! Star Wars! Will it be slightly disappointing? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Could be. Could be. But it is definitely Star Wars. Yep, so. Oh, fucking wait. See you then. Godspeed. Bye. Bye. James Franco, you're welcome. And no one can argue with your integrity as an actor. From jerking off next to a boulder to sucking a gun like a dick, you are truly the Jimmy Stewart of today. <laughs> but I know it hasn't always been easy for you, James. You overcame a crippling childhood affliction known as dumb face. <laughs> but things are looking up. Yeah, yeah, your upcoming film that you wrote and directed is an adaptation of William Faulkner's As I Lay Dying. Oh. We got the, the Faulkner crowd in here. Well, I'm very excited for that, James. And I must say, you know, if you... It's going to suck, James. I'm worried about you.